Uh, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. I'm back here again with my co-host Gary Hawkins. Gary, how are you? Great, Shaker. Great to be with you again. Hi. And you're I'm listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Perch Raman and uh, Gary Hawkins. Seems to be making the round here. We're going to here, discuss so interesting challenges and opportunities so, in I want to grocery thank all retail, the AI, current us and upcoming trends, and, and so much back. more. And we have a bunch of people who also reached out and wanted to be guests on the show. We actually have more people lined up, Gary, for the next six to eight weeks than we've ever had before. So clearly, you're doing something right. Uh, I'm not sure about me yet, but, <laughs> you know, we're having a good time. And hopefully, we're giving some content that's of uh, value. And I think we have had some amazing topics discussed. And we have one more amazing topic coming up today. So Marcus Startsell is the CEO of White Box. They do some amazing things in fulfillment for DTC and we're going to be jumping into a bunch of topics but Marcus if you can take us right from the front you know from the day you were born to how'd you get started with White Box you know <laughs> a quick background of about who you are yeah absolutely Shaker and uh, Gary thank you for welcoming me to the Retail Perch I won't start the day I was born but uh, I'll go uh, far enough uh, far enough back uh, so I am a former naval officer. I spent uh, five years in the submarine service, and so my my background is one of nuclear engineering and submarine operations. And I use very little of any of that uh, knowledge today, but it was a, you know sort of an amazing background. And from there, really got into the the startup technology space back in early two thousand two. When I joined advertising.com, which was a, a interactive advertising company, and really it was my first introduction to the brands, the challenges of those brands with the new changing like digital landscape. And I've gone through multiple different iterations of startup companies and had a lot of experience along the way, mostly in the advertising technology space from, you know, performance advertising to search advertising to mobile advertising, and then programmatic tech, technological advertising, and now I'm in, uh, in the e-commerce space. And so today I'm the CEO of Whitebox. I joined uh, just over two years ago. It, we're an amazing company. And again, we're helping brands sell more stuff uh, across all, all channels that we can help them, support them, as well as also being able to do direct-to-consumer and other types of fulfillment on their behalf. And so we sit at a really interesting perch to see how the consumer habits are changing, how, you know, especially in the past 18 months, how in-store has really changed uh, as a focus for some folks. And, you know, coming out of, hopefully coming out of COVID and more in-store shopping, what that looks like going ahead. And so it's actually, I'm really interested in having a great conversation here today. Terrific. Marcus, it might be helpful for our listeners if you would describe some of the different product categories you uh, you work in. Uh, you mean our, our customers that we serve? Yes. Yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think the, the categories that we serve are a good mirror of actually the types of things that people are buying through e-commerce. And so, and especially where a lot of investment is going into some great challenger brands or different categories. And so the CPG space for sure is a, a big a big part of our business. And then food and beverages is, is a subcategory in that where we do uh, a lot. And so we are probably most experienced in, in beverage and beverage e-commerce, which is an interesting you know, challenge uh, because liquids weigh a lot. And so you've got 
dense, heavy uh, boxes that you know you've got to be able to get there efficiently to consumers without breakage or spillage and those sorts of things, and also merchandising them online, differentiation, creating you know variety packs. So th those are the categories where we have a lot of experience. But you know, honestly, we've sold everything from full-size gazebos and you know grills and outdoor equipment to cement pavers, you know, templates to, to, to bird food, to everything. There's a lot of really diverse products, but I would say the one place that we're really strong in is uh, food and beverage. A little history of uh, White Box as a company. I mean, what, what's the evolution? I mean, did you guys yeah. always start off with this as a vision or? Yeah, so very interesting. So uh, Rob Ray and uh, Sean Clark, uh, two of our founders started the company even before White Box, they were operated a different company, which was a an early e-commerce company that sold audio and accessory equipment for for cars. And so they were essentially going out and sourcing the products and then reselling them online on Amazon, eBay, and others. And so over that process, they built a bunch of great technology to allow them to be more efficient to drive more sales in their business. And they realized very quickly, if we can help ourselves, we can probably help other folks do that. And so Whitebox was born. You know, it, it really, a, we're a very large seller on Amazon. We have a lot of expertise in how to navigate that complex channel. We bolted on, you know, a bunch of different services uh, around that. And most notably is our high volume, low defect fulfillment network uh, that I, is a really powerful solution for brands today. But yeah, in general, the, the company really started as how do we help brands from factory floor to front door, which is our tagline today, from the moment the product is ready to sell, how do we help them get it to market, market it, sell it, and then even fulfill it to the customers. And so it really started as a, you know, as a necessity to build the technology that today is the backbone of our solutions. Terrific. So, so let's say I have a brand, let's say I make I make some amazing ketchup, okay? And I'm, I want to find a market for and obviously sell it. How does White Box help in that process? Because I see on your website that you're also helping brands, you know, who want to go DTC direct to consumer, whether it's through your marketplace or through Amazon, right? Yeah, for sure. And so if you produce that bottle of ketchup, you know, you've got a lot of things that you need to do to take it to market. And you've got a lot of choices as a business that you need to make first. Choice number one, do I want to start in store or do I want to start online? And every brand makes a little different decision there based on, you know, what kind of distribution deals they can get early, uh, who, who they might know, where their expertise might be. And so if you came to White Box today, we would be able to store all of your ketchup in our warehouses. We would be able to activate and get your ketchup listed and selling on Amazon, Walmart, and in, in other places. And then we would be able to do all of your uh, direct consumer and some wholesale B2B fulfillment on your behalf. But today, that bottle of ketchup is coming to us today uh, for our bread and butter services of helping them sell more on Amazon and compete and helping them do direct to consumer fulfillment, both you know, on Amazon from their owned and operated store, and then the other outlets they may work with, maybe dropship or otherwise. And so Got that's it. what we're doing for that. So, so if I had a, if I had my ketchup and I set up a Shopify store, 
I could tie the fulfillment end into the white box service. So when people order off, it's the fulfillment is happening through white box. Do I get that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly perfect. Right. Perfect. That's amazing because I think it opens up the, the the playing field for a lot of little brands that are trying to get to market and reach customers and get get listed. And so you're basically helping them navigate the space of getting into these marketplaces, whether it's Walmart or Amazon, um, and a direct to consumer business, right? Uh, that's correct. And you know there are a lot of a lot of choices along the way. And, you know some of the easiest ones, and you, you use a uh, Shopify or a big commerce site as an example where you've got a set of products, you've got a set of you know sellable SKUs as we think about them. You've got a bottle of ketchup. Do you also make mustard? Do you sell that ketchup and mustard together? Uh, you know a lot of these a lot of these choices have ramifications and costs around fulfillment and packaging. So I think, we really work with our brands and consult them on things like box size, packaging, SKU selection, how they can better market. And we're not, because we are both selling things on behalf of our brands and doing the fulfillment, we come from a very unique point of view. And so we may be able to learn on Amazon without ever having to really create a kit or a pack. Like today, if you were a, if you were a ketchup manufacturer and you wanted to do a deal with a Sam's Club or a Kroger or a Safeway to sell a ketchup, ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise, and relish pack in their store, you'd have to go through the process of making thousands of those packs, designing, getting them into the store, and then quite frankly, hoping they sell. Now, as you both know, there's a lot of data available through offline channels to understand consumer intent and what they want to purchase. But you'd have to make that upfront investment before the first sale ever really occurred. Because we have such a flexible warehouse management system that we built is, you know, that ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise, and relish just all sit in their cases on their own separate pallets. We get it up listing for sale on Amazon. And if it sells, we just pick it and pack it like any other direct-to-consumer order. And as we find out that it's a big seller, we go back to the brand and say, okay, Here's a variation you should offer on your Shopify site because customers are really buying it and there's really like an affinity for that packaging. And so I think the at the simplest level, yes, we have our application they can embed in their right. web store that allows us to like manage all their orders, continually update on a real-time basis, the availability, the stock left, those sorts of things. And they have a dashboard that they can log into to see that. But on another, the other level is the level of consulting and expertise that comes with our people on our platform that allows brands to sort of really harvest more out of that data that's available. Yeah. So do you support, uh, for example, you know, back in the early months of the pandemic, you know, Amazon's business, uh, you know, like many others just uh, exploded and Amazon was uh, retaining a lot of that additional revenue through uh, subscription programs, replenishment programs, that type thing. Do you support uh, those types of things? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the a lot of our brands do subscriptions. They do subscribe and save, and you know we fulfill those orders. You know, as they as they process. Uh, so absolutely. And I think the, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, we saw a lot of, you know, as you talked about with Amazon, you know, limiting some, putting limits on some categories of what they could or couldn't accept and sell in, in, into Amazon. And, the, you know, the good thing about our service is 
we don't have a point of view on uh, the best way to get something to a customer. And so we're a big user of FBA on behalf of our brands. And so a lot of our sold items get fulfilled by Amazon because it's you know the most efficient way, the most cost you know uh, efficient way for it to get to a customer. But we're continually working with brands on that analysis. Like, what is the right fulfillment option here? Is it better to have it come directly out of our one of our warehouses, you know, or is it directly come out of you know fulfilled by Amazon? And so I think that's a really like brands have a really challenging um, set of circumstances today. Just to shaker to go back to your bottle of ketchup, you know, if you were buying that bottle of ketchup twenty years ago, we were going to the store. And both of you gentlemen know exactly how much power that retail store has in deciding what bottle of ketchup the consumer is going to buy. And so the consumer choice was really limited. Now, if you're going to buy that same bottle of ketchup, the consumer choices have exploded. And that complexity, you know, answering all the questions that come with how to be able to service the different channels, how to be able to respond to orders from different channels, how to be able to do direct to consumer fulfillment most efficiently from a cost perspective. All of that was shoved onto these brands that have been moving pallets for years and years. And so I think that's really at the at the heart of what we what we're trying to do is you know create that, you know, create those sales that other folks couldn't because they don't have access to the fulfillment data. Right. And then saving the costs that other people can't because they're not connecting both sides of the data. Oh, I love it. I I think uh uh, I mean, I see it as a way of leveling the playing field on the brand side, because I think the biggest challenge, like you said, is getting your product on the shelf uh, with, when you're going to retailers. And I guess we've seen, I think, maybe the past 10, 15 years, so many little brands crowd up and disrupt the market. I mean, I think a classic case is like the Dollar Shave Club or Harry's, you know, which started online and eventually got, I think, bought by Target, right, uh, Gary? And then I think, I mean, it's a classic case of, you know, where do you start first? You start online, you start in store. Eventually you want to be in both, whether you start. And I think we've seen a lot of brands start online, but eventually make their way into a store because ultimately that's the only way to get massive scale. Because as a single brand, you're constantly fighting against so many voices against other brands in similar similar categories. So I think a service like yours just makes so much sense for somebody who's trying to go out to the consumer. As I think about, so the evolution of this space over the years, you know, around CPG products, it was always thought that the actual fulfillment cost was a big barrier to entry, right? You know, go back to the bottle of ketchup example we're using here today. You, you know, if that bottle of ketchup retails for, you know, two, three, four dollars, fulfillment cost, getting that from whatever point of distribution to that shopper's home may eat up half that revenue or more. Do you see that still as a challenge, Marcus, or is it becoming less of a challenge? Uh, well, look, I think the, you know, the physical nature of having to transport a weighted object a distance is always going to cause that problem to exist. And so, you know, if you look at some, even some of the cheapest U.S. postal rates, which are publicly available, you know, it's high two, three dollars for, you know, that package. And so that makes up, I don't know, 80%, 90% of the retail value of that bottle of ketchup. And so, and that bottle of ketchup was probably too heavy to get that rate in the first place anyway. And, and so like, I think your, your principle is very true in that you do have this 
block around CPG for the lighter, for, you know, for the lower cost objects. That being said, when you look at Amazon and how things are sold on Amazon, Amazon has a unique attribute. It's very similar to something that we have, which is we have, I have a warehouse of things behind me. And if somebody orders an order with two different objects, I can put them in the same box, get that same box out to the consumer and the overall effect of fulfillment costs. So, you know, that box of batteries could make up for the bottle of ketchup. And ultimately you've got a really much more valuable economics. And Amazon had that has that very same opportunity because they can put two things in one box or basically two boxes on the same truck, which is the same cost for right. them, right? But if you look at what how brands are really reacting, how you know, on their own .com sites, like they're packaging, they're selling the six pack of ketchup, they're selling, you know, the multi-packs, they're, they're, they're bundling things in a way that allows for that fulfillment cost to be a lower percentage of the sale value. Like it is the, is the largest, it is one of the largest costs outside of manufacturing is, is the fulfillment in uh, direct to consumer fulfillment. So I think that it remains a challenge. I mean, the you know your lower priced items almost requiring you sell bundles or multi packs in order to have a, have that. But you know, I think the you know it's, it's certainly with some of the technologies like companies like ours are you know putting together, we're getting more efficient. But we are still going to need to have that uh, you know the bundle and other types of selling strategies to make it work. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, Gary, I can almost see. I mean, if there's a wide enough uh, infrastructure of these warehouses and these services to create a marketplace, I can see people starting their own online grocery store, just sourcing product and selling it and having distribution partners who actually deliver and do the end fulfillment, yeah. right? I mean, it's, I, I can see, I mean, I think it's very exciting because I think it, it opens up the space for innovation, you know, as you have companies like Whitebox in there to kind of serve as the in-between fulfillment center, you start opening up different ways of engaging customers. And, you know, I think it's very exciting because I think before, you know, the whole grocery space is so capital intensive for you to think of starting a grocery business, the real estate, the people, the fulfillment, the relationships, all of that, that has to happen. Uh, I think, you know, companies like Whitebox are kind of cutting through that and saying, hey, we're going to become an enabler of commerce for anybody who wants to get their product out to the customer. Yeah. But how many yeah, distribution centers, Marcus, do you operate? And today we have three distribution centers. We've got uh, our East Coast headquarters in Baltimore, 350,000 square feet, just a little, a little over that. We've got a very similar footprint out in Las Vegas for our West Coast. And then we have uh, Memphis with uh, 100,000 square feet. And, uh, you know, I think the there aren't many people out there today looking to answer the questions for the brands. You know, there are a lot of marketplaces out there looking to make lower cost items available for consumers. And so there aren't a lot of people out there like White Box that are focused entirely on our mission, which is to uh, drive more sales and lower costs for these brands. And, and the amount of questions that a brand has to answer to go to market today are so much more than they were 20 years ago when they were selling that bottle of ketchup. And I think, you know, if you look at where we are today, you know, with uh, consumers heading back into the store, you know, there are inherent advantages to e-commerce 
uh, for a brand that they will will evaporate in a store. And a, a great example is, you know, we have a, a great customer of ours called uh, Super Coffee. Super Coffee, they sell uh, protein, plant-based coffees that are, you know, three brothers founded out of college. They're athletes and it's an amazing product. I have one every day. They have many different flavors. They have coffee pods, they have creamers. So a, a real assortment of products that they brought to market. Stores cannot carry, will not carry, and depending on the footprint of the stores, can carry the entire assortment of super coffee. And you have to go to drinksupercoffee.com to see everything that they have available to sell. And so again, as you think about people coming back into the stores and a brand like Super Coffee that's in stores everywhere, as well as a great online seller, you've got to find a way to introduce new products to your customers. And then that provides you the data to be able to say, yes, we should go invest this in stores. And so I think that's going to be a really interesting challenge, you know, as I think about the retail space over the next, you know, 12 months to 24 months is as more and more brands launch and think about this assortment as Amazon puts new rules and what you can and can't send in how much volume, you know, how to really create the discovery. Because if, if, if you're a, a snack brand and you produce a chip and a cookie, that chip and that cookie live together on your website and they live apart in a grocery store. And right. it would be very hard for someone who's got an affinity for your brand to discover that new product unless you're actually creating that experience and owning the data online. So I think it's a really interesting uh, time we're going to go through here. Because so many, so many more consumers over the past year have adopted e-commerce in a way that we haven't seen before and are now given the choice to do what they want to do. Will they go back to the store or will they continue online? And I think we all generally know that answer, but it'll be interesting to watch it unfold. Yeah, yeah. well, in, in a big part of that adoption right now, you know, we're seeing more and more new entrants into the industry, right? That are not operating physical stores, right? They're operating ghost stores or, you know, micro fulfillment centers, pushing their distribution closer to the, the ultimate consumer, you know, leveraging speed of delivery, that type of thing. So companies like GoPuff or Fridge No More, you know, there's a bunch of them and, and more every day, it seems, getting into this space that are also impacting all this. What do you see happening there? What do you think the, those trends are? Do you have thoughts around pushing in a similar direction, you know, maybe smaller DCs closer to the consumer? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's one that we evaluate, uh, you know, as we grow and, you know, as we need to respond to the consumer demand. And so I believe that to this point, Amazon has trained the consumer that two-day shipping is the right answer for a product. It's the default. If you can't get something in two days, it's, you know, it's got a prime tag on it. It's, it's not fast enough. Now, I'm sure we all see that sometimes prime doesn't necessarily mean two days anymore. It means, some, it means something different. But, but in general, that's the sort of default you know, baseline. Now, there are some products that people will want now. Uh, you, know, and you, you look at uh, Instacart or other delivery services or the ones that your fridge no more you're talking about. You know, these are lifestyle 
changes, I need this now, and you know, same day. Uh, as we look at our strategy around how we grow, we have to, we have to balance two things. And we have to think about how are consumers ultimately going to think about when do I want this thing I just bought? And I think it will fall into two camps, which is I want it now and I'm going to go to the store or maybe I need it tomorrow for a specific thing. And everything else is like, yeah, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need that in two days. Uh, if, if it's four days, that's fine. And so I think what we have to balance for our brands is what do their specific customers want and when do they need their product? And so you talked earlier about subscriptions, like that's not, they just expect it to come every month. If it's supposed to come on the 29th of every month and it shows up on the 27th or the 30th, probably not a big deal, right? Because it's a, it's a subscription. And so I, I think we are both thinking about smaller, same day, next day fulfillment centers in major metropolitan areas, as well as, you know, being able to support the two to seven business days of standard shipping that quite frankly, most consumer products and most customers are okay with. It's a little bit of both. And, you know, for us as white box, we have a very specific point of view on how that fulfillment choice can impact the actual purchase and the price and the offer. And so I think we're watching that very, very carefully to, to understand what the right strategy is. But today I would say um, our, our thought is in the future, we're probably gonna need smaller distribution centers close to population centers to be able to support same next day at one point. But then we also need to have a broad low defect network that can do repeatable things over and over. Like a spoken hub model type of thing, right? So you have a center and smaller distribution centers are dependent on it. And I think, I know when you were talking previously about product discovery and which is obviously a huge challenge for a brand uh, who's selling across categories, you know, and I think Gary and I have talked many times about this concept of an endless aisle, about having digital interactions at the shelf where, you know, whether it's through AR or VR or some other technology where you can, you know, because the store only has limited space, but how do you discover other products that the store might want to sell online, which obviously you can expand, have an expanded SKU list. And I think that's where I can see brands leveraging your services you know, where they're kind of offering this endless aisle of services back to a, a, a retailer that wants to contract with them to say, hey, this is my online fulfillment partner who has all these extra brands and this is what I'm going to carry in store, but I'm going to make it easy for the customer to have this hybrid experience of being in store, but yet ordering off of our fulfillment center. So, I mean, I think that's where it's going because I think people love the convenience of e-commerce, but I think there's something about you know, social interaction and us being social beings, we like to be in the middle of people, touching, feeling things. And I think, you know, you know, for me, when I buy online, I, I think the number one reason I buy online is because I can research products before I can buy it. And, you know, the, the checkout process itself is really straightforward. But I think what I miss online is being able to pick up something and compare the two, right? And if I'm in the cereal aisle, there's a new cereal box that's come out. It's not always obvious in an online perspective, whereas, you know, you can have, 
these visual cues in a store, you know, to, to kind of, so I think there's obviously, uh, you know, we're going to get to a point and that's the question I want to ask you, what do you see, you know, with, with the last 18 months and whatever's transpired, what do you see some of those, what, what's, what are the trends that you're seeing that you notice through your own business lens and, you know, general, your overall observation? Yeah. So happy to, happy to talk about that. You know, one of the things you mentioned about why people go to stores and to do that trial and comparison, you know, I think a lot about the different retailers taken, you know, to their marketplaces and, you know, uh, Target has an in-store selection and their third-party marketplaces heavily curated, you know, Walmart, it's a little more open for listings, but again, they want to specify specific you know, categories. I mean, Amazon, of course, is if you want to sell it on Amazon, as long as you don't violate Amazon's rules, go right ahead. Uh, and so I think there's a, you know, that this skew selection available in store or online when it comes to a retailer, you see retailers taking very different strategies. And, you know, it used to be you would think about buying in a store. If you don't like it, it's easy to return. It doesn't cost money. But Smart retailers are integrating that process. If you buy it online, you can return it in store. I mean, people are you know, really adopting that. And I think it's, it's helping bring consumers to their store to pick up those, oh yeah, I probably should get this too while I'm here purchases. But I, I think the ease, you just take Amazon as an example. There's no risk to buy most things on Amazon. The return process is so easy. It costs nothing. You don't necessarily even need to box it up in most cases. You just take it to a UPS store and they scan it. And that I think has really replaced the need for, you know, it, it has lowered the bar to make purchases because now you can try that shirt on and if it doesn't fit, you you can you can take it back. And so I think it's a really interesting point from what you said is like the, even in e-commerce, you know, we are finding a way to lower the barrier on returns, which was one of the biggest barriers right. and then you combine that with you know instacart and the other delivery services i think those two things become um you know again it was accelerate when people weren't allowed to leave their house they discovered what they could do and so i think that if you look at the last 18 months that's probably the biggest the biggest takeaway you know i haven't looked much into the growth of like the food delivery services like the home chefs and the hello freshes and 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 stuff like that um, I imagine that has been growing like crazy, but I think a lot has happened over the last year and 18 months to make people really rethink about what their shopping trips look like. And, uh, you know, I just know from our family's perspective and probably others, you know, it's still, you know, we like to go to the grocery store. It's easier to pick up the things you need walking through the grocery store than actually shopping that on e-commerce because you don't right. that endless aisle is not very easily organized right and but yeah. I, I think the uh that's that's the you know the big the big takeaway in the last 18 months for me is just the the ease at which you can shop online uh for things that you didn't think you could before that's right that's right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I guess one more question here for you is, where do you see White Box going? I mean, what's the what's the vision here? Where, where, where do you guys plan to be in five years from now? Uh, two years from now? I think we are, so we're really focused on the mission. 
And our mission is to help brands sell more and save costs. Uh, we can write it in a more flowery way than that, but that ultimately is what we're trying to do. And I think as long as we stay focused on that, providing that value to brands, we'll continue to see great growth uh, and we'll continue to expand the services in our platform. But where I really believe we are, you know, our, our vision is to really evolve commerce, evolve modern commerce for brands. You know, again, there's no one out there other than the brands themselves thinking about how to service all this demand in a fracturing consumer landscape where the choices are endless. And, you know, if you're a traditional brand, if you're Heinz, every day a new ketchup brand is launching that you have to compete with that didn't exist the day before. And if you're an upstart brand, you know, trying to get on that shelf next to Heinz might be super hard to do in Walmart, but you've got different ways of social and, and uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram are an amazing way to discover. There's so much data available to target, you know, customers. And so I think this evolving modern commerce where it's driven by an endless consumer choice and different options where brands really have to be ready to, to service that demand wherever it might be. That's what we want to, we want to evolve modern commerce for brands. And I think two to three years from now, as long as we stay focused on that mission, we're probably a much larger company with many more fulfillment centers and, uh, you know, great, happy customers. And I, I think that, uh, the, the day we haven't talked an awful lot about our, our data platform and the value it can provide for brands. But I really do believe that, you know, we are building a almost like an ERP system that can execute e-commerce and overall modern commerce on behalf, on behalf of brands. And I think it's, we, we just become a, a very important link in the brands go to market. Yeah, I was just thinking about the data because you must have access to some amazing data and insights for brands to look at overall, right? In terms of movement analytics. Uh, yeah, that's, that's terrific. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, it's very exciting. This is, I think this has been very informative for me uh, and I can see the space that you guys are playing in. And obviously it's, I think you're serving a fantastic market, bringing both the supply chain and the delivery, the fulfillment side together. And you're kind of like the glue between the two in some sense, right? I guess they've been decoupled for the longest time, but you're giving that visibility through the entire chain. Yeah, no, I think this has been uh, great. This whole area obviously continues to grow fast, but it also becomes more complex every day. You know, the options, as you've called out, Marcus, for a brand today and how they go to market are, are just continuing to grow. And, you know, everything you're describing, you're almost becoming a channel that sounds like unto yourself for a, a small brand, you know, a brand to consider today. I can go the physical store route and, you know, try to work through distribution in that way, or I can go to a white box and really facilitate the whole e-commerce digital world and get my product out. So not fascinating so, stuff. Yeah. So a uh, quick question and we'll wrap up with this. So, so among your customers, CPGs, do you have, oh, is the concentration more among the bigger CPGs or smaller brands? I mean, what's, uh, where do you see the traction? Yeah, so the we definitely have more challenger brands, brands that are you know doing ten to fifty million in sales that you know most folks haven't haven't heard of yet because they're still growing and launching, and so that's a majority of our business from uh, the grocery space. 
Uh, we do have some very large brands, you know, that we work with as well. And there's a commonality of, from both sides. They're both trying to figure out this direct to consumer thing mm. uh, and, and how to navigate modern commerce. Um, if you're a challenger brand, you're probably starting off a lot more comfortable with commerce and your Shopify site. That's where you started. That's how you're like merchandising and, and interacting with your customers. You've probably got a great Instagram, Facebook advertising game to understand like how to stay in touch with your customers. You're probably doing a great job with your text program and your CRM and your loyalty and all of those things because that's where you started and right. you're fighting your way into the store, but you're, you're still trying to understand how to be more direct to consumer. And if you're a bigger brand, you know, you're, you probably, you, you may not have a website where you actually sell your own things because you don't want to disrupt your, your, you know, your, your, your major customers. And so I, I think they're both trying to be more direct to consumer and understand what's going on in modern commerce. And that's the commonality. But if you look at our customer base today, it's definitely more of the challenger brands that are in that, you know, 10 to $50 million plus annual sales that are omni-channel and need the support of someone who brings a tool set like right. us. Yeah. Right. Neat. No, fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, I would love to um, keep in touch with you guys and get you back on here, you know, as, as we come out of this pandemic and, uh, you know, it's been a, Great conversation. You know, we, we talk on the show to retailers, to we've spoken to industry analysts, to startups. And I think you, this is, you're probably the first guest that we're talking to who's in the fulfillment space, right, Gary? I yes. think, uh, yeah, yeah I, think, I think we have a couple of guests coming up who, are, who just have delivery fulfillment plat software platforms that they're building. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to speaking to Marcus again. I know as we come out of this pandemic, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, what, habits stay with customers and which industry gets fueled. What I love about what you're doing is that you're giving the ability to the small guys to compete and distribute and access to data and analytics, which they normally would simply not have access to, which is terrific. So I want to wish you guys uh, all the very, very best. I'm sure you guys are going to grow like gangbusters here. And thank you again for being on the show do you have anything to add that maybe our listeners can take away in terms of if there are brands out there listening and they want to get in touch with white box is that what's the what's the process here sure www.whitebox.com very easy to find us uh, learn more about our services as well as you know put in a request for contact we're you know we're happy to you know happy to engage and you know, i just want to thank you both for uh, having me on the program it's actually been a, a lot of fun to kind of talk through a lot of these things and in, in questions I don't normally, you know, get every day. So I just appreciate, I uh, appreciate the time and thank you very much. And now it's been a lot of fun and, uh, you know, please do have somebody send over your address. We'll get you the retail perch coffee mug. Oh, and uh, yes. we want to make sure that next time you're on the show, we're all having coffee together here. So, you know, right. Exactly. Gary, any, any closing thoughts before oh, we yes. end the show? Thanks for being with us today. I think this was a uh, great discussion and gives uh, you know, all our listeners a little different perspective on a different part of this uh, big industry. So thanks for being with us. Thank yeah. you. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, as always, you know, this has been another fun retail perch episode. I want to thank the listeners again for supporting us, listening to, uh, listening to us uh, week after week. And as we bring uh, 
some amazing guests here on the show. And I also want to thank Stephanie Doherty for putting this together. She's really the producer of our podcast and manages all the little details that make this happen. And again, you guys stay safe, uh, get vaccinated. Let's go out and live life again. So with that, uh, we're over and out here at the Retail Perch. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at the Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.